Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. series of a closer look at 12 ordinary men and I really want to get to Andrew tonight which means I've got to really just try my best to get through all this stuff now the last time we were together we were at the Passover night in that rented room everybody remembers that okay where um, we talked about the fact that it was customary that you had a person available during those times to wash the guests' feet, because obviously they had been out, you know, with sandals and dirt roads and all the rest of that stuff. And in this particular instance, it was just not taken care of. Somebody just forgot all about it. So Jesus, however, while the disciples were sitting around arguing over who was the greatest, they didn't even think about maybe attempting to take care of that task. They were just trying to figure out who's the best amongst them because, you know, this was something that they all wanted to be, you know, top dog. That was something that you'll see that they tended to do quite a bit. And Jesus, again, being the person to teach them, he just went ahead, put on an apron, and he started to actually go ahead and take care of the task. And that's exactly where we left off. Now, the whole point of this was that he was teaching them something more than just foot washing. I mean, it, you know, it dealt with something a lot more than that. Turn with me to John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 10. John 13, verse 10. And if we look at it in the Amplified Translation, which is where I'm going to share it, Jesus said to him, because he was actually talking to one of the disciples at that time, and he said, anyone who has bathed needs only to wash his feet and is completely clean. And you, my disciples, are clean, but not all of you. And in the message, he said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. Now, he's doing this because why? He knows that he's about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And that's really what he's talking about, the fact that you know, Judas is getting ready to do something that is not like the rest of them. Um, actually, if you just drop down to the next verse, you're already in 13, drop down to the very next verse, verse 11. And in the Amplified, he says, Jesus, for he knew who was going to betray him. For that reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And if we look at it in the message, Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, like we said before, you only need your feet washed now and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew he, he knew who, who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. This signified that Judas Iscariot was not clean in the spiritual sense of which he spoke. Now, Peter's answer is typical of his unbridled wholeheartedness, because we know how Peter is, okay? Again, there was never any middle ground with Peter. He, he just 
was not a person that saw anything in the center lane. It was always right or left. That was, or black or white, that was it. It was always all or nothing. So Jesus assured him that he was already completely clean. The Lord was still speaking in spiritual terms about forgiveness and cleansing from sin. Peter now needed nothing more than a foot washing. In other words, Peter, as a believer, was already fully justified. The forgiveness and cleansing he needed was not the kind of summary pardon one would seek from, you know, like the judge of the universe. That's not what we're talking about here. As if Peter was, were seeking to have his eternal destiny settled. That wasn't it. He had already received that kind of cleansing and forgiveness. But now Peter was coming to God as a child would approach a parent, seeking fatherly grace and forgiveness for his wrongdoings. Because remember, he was constantly in trouble. That was the kind of cleansing that Peter needed. It is the same kind of forgiveness, and this is where all of us can plug in. It is the same kind of forgiveness Jesus taught all believers to pray for daily. Turn to Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 4. Luke 11, verse 4. And we're familiar with this, really. If we look at it in the New King James Version, it says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If we look at it in the New International Version, it says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. What it means by that when it says lead us not into temptation, it's really talking about delivering us from the evil one. That's really what it actually means. And in the Amplified, it says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, who has offended or wronged us. And lead us not into temptation, but rescue us. I like that. Rescue us from evil. Now, we talk about this every single Communion Sunday. We spend a segment of Communion Sunday talking about how we need to forgive. And if we think anybody, if we've offended anybody, we're asking that they forgive. So this is obviously a big component. It's not something that we should just really kind of like gloss over. Turn with me also to James. Let's look at James, the first chapter, and we're going to look at verse 13. James 1, verse 13, in the New King James Version says, Let no one say, and I put this in here for a reason, because when we just finished reading over here about lead us not into temptation, um, I don't want people to misunderstand in any sh way, shape, or form what that means. That's why you're reading James 1.13. Because it says, let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. If you look at it in the New International Version, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And then the Amplified, with the qualifiers, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Here's the qualifier. For temptation does not originate from God, but from our own flaws. I like that. 
for God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. So therefore, we cannot misunderstand what we read in Luke, thinking in some way, shape, or form that God is the person who tempts us. He does not. Here, Jesus likens such daily forgiveness to a foot washing. That was the symbolism there. Those truths were all wrapped up in the symbolism when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. But the central lesson was about the way love ought to be shown. Jesus' example was a consummate act of loving, lowly service. Now, when you think about this, because of course, my mind does think a little different, okay? When I think of this, I think of being a wife and a mother. Because one thing that is very true of being a wife and being a mother is that oftentimes we are doing service. And we're doing it in a loving manner, and it's often just taken for granted. And I don't think that it's like purposely taken. That's not what I mean. It's just that, you know, who's going to, you know, if a, if a baby makes a mess on the floor, who's going to be apt to really take care of that? It's a lowly service, but we do it, okay? And <laughs> if you are a wife and you are really serious about it, and you hang in there for a while, trust me, there's a lot of forgiveness that has to go on. On both ways. I mean, husbands have to do it too. But when you're a wife and you're a mother, you do that. You do a lot of little, you know, we'll talk about it more on Mother's Day, because trust me, mothers, we know. <laughs> so, so this to me, it's an encouragement to me. I took it as a big encouragement to realize, wow, we have the opportunity, being wives and mothers, to do and act as our Lord. So I thought that was a very, very good thing. So later that evening, after Judas Iscariot had left, Jesus told the other 11 this. Turn with me to John. You already, well, no, go back to John. John 13. John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. We're going to look at verses 34 to 35, those two. In the New King James Version, it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Amplified Classic says it this way. I give you a new commandment that you should love one another just as I have loved you, so you too should love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, if you keep on showing love among yourselves. That is so precious. Then if you look at it in the message, it says, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. I think sometimes we forget about that, you know, because that's what would attract people to even want to know more about Jesus when he sees how all of us as brethren really do love one another and care about each other. So, I mean, I, I just thought that was priceless, and I think it's so nice that that's when he gave that command. See, 
that's the beauty of Bible study. Because when you put it all in the right perspective, after he had shown them by washing their feet, showing them that love, that's when he gave them that command. So it was like, there's no way you could misunderstand where he was coming from. He made it abundantly clear because he said it, but he also had shown them. And I thought that that was really, really good. Because when you think about it, it's hard for most leaders to stoop and wash the feet of those whom they perceive as subordinates. <laughs> I can only imagine the president of our country, okay, considering washing somebody's feet. I just wonder. But that was the example of leadership that Jesus gave. And he urged his disciples to follow it. In fact, he told them that showing love to one another in such a way was the mark of a true disciple, which means if we are saying that we are Christians and that we are his true disciples, then we better make sure that this is how we are showing it to one another and not going around talking to everybody about what we've done for so-and-so. That, that, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to take care of it and do it. So did Peter learn to love? I mean, we know he had a, a rocky <laughs> past, and there are a lot of different things he had to deal with, but did he really learn to love? He certainly did. Love became one of the hallmarks of his teaching. Look at, let's look at 1 Peter. Turn with me to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verse 8. 1 Peter 4. Verse 8 in the New King James Version says, and above all things, this is Peter writing this, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. If we look at it in the Amplified, which gives us, Amplified Classic, I should say, which gives us a little bit more clarification, it says, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, here's the qualifier, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Now we already know mothers do that. Because sometimes your children can push you to a level you're like, are you kidding me? But you just go ahead and you have a way to just forgive them anyway. That's how we're supposed to be with each other, not just our children. Now, if we look at it in the message, it says it perfectly. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless cheerfully, be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll get all the credit as the one mighty in everything. Encores to the end of time. Oh, yes. Isn't that wonderful? That's what I'm telling you. If they just gave me one Bible and I was just, you know, I could deal with it, but this is so much better because there's so much. It's, it's so rich to me. 
So anyway, Peter was urging us to love to the maximum of our capacity. The love he spoke of is not about a feeling. It's not about how we respond to people who are naturally lovable. I mean, come on, anybody can love someone who's naturally lovable. It's when you have to love the unlovable. Okay, that's when you're put to the test. It's about a love that covers and compensates. I like that. Covers and compensates for others' failures and weaknesses. Love, again, will cover a multitude of sins. This is the sort of love that washes a brother's dirty feet. Peter himself learned that lesson from Christ's example. Another important character quality Peter needed to learn was compassion. When the Lord warned Peter that he would deny him, he said in Luke, you're already in Luke, okay? Well, no, you're not. I had you in Peter. Go back to Luke. You'll be all over today. Okay, so go to Luke 22. You'll be there for a, a second. <laughs> Luke 22, we're going to look at verse 31. And this is the Lord speaking, okay? In the New King James Version of Luke 22, verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, now we already know he's calling him Simon, so, hmm, okay. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. If we look at it in the Amplified Classic Edition with the qualifiers, Simon, Simon, Peter, listen. Satan has asked excessively that all of you be given up to him out of the power and keeping of God. That's key right there. Out of the power and keeping of God that he might sift all of you like grain. That's very, very important. And that's different than just reading it out of the New King James. Now, if you look at it, the message it says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me, meaning Jesus, like chaff from wheat. Chaff from wheat. Okay. Now, you have to look at this and see it this way. Wheat was typically separated from the chaff by being shaken and tossed up in the air in a stiff wind, okay? The chaff was blown away, and the wheat would then fall into a pile purified, meaning it wasn't a comfortable, easy little process, okay? Now, you might have expected Jesus to reassure Peter, you know, saying, oh, I'm not going to allow Satan to sift you, okay? But he didn't. He didn't do that. He essentially let Peter know that he had given Satan the permission he sought. He would allow the devil to put Peter to the test, the same as God did in the case of Job. Same thing, okay? He said, in essence, I'm going to let him do it. I'm going to let Satan shake the very foundations of your life. Then. I'm going to let him toss you to the wind until there's nothing left but the reality of your faith. That is so key. Again, this lesson, I, oh, you have no idea. I mean, I did this lesson this time, and at one point I just sat and cried. Because you can, I, I can, and I hope you can, 
See for yourself where you have grown through something sometimes and you were trying to figure out, oh my gosh, why am I having to deal with this? God, I know you didn't forsake me. Where are you? He may have allowed certain things to happen in your life to get you to a point where you recognize that the only thing that's left is the reality of your faith. And that is not a bad thing at all. That's a very good thing. Okay, because we already know that faith is the currency of the kingdom. So anyway, this is what he did. But here's the other thing. He did reassure Peter that the apostle Peter's faith would survive the ordeal. Look, just go right down to the next verse. You're already in Luke 22. Just drop down to verse 32. And in... The New King, uh, in the New King James Version, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The Amplified Classic says, but I have prayed especially for you, Peter, that your own faith may not fail. And when you yourself have turned again, strengthen and establish your brethren. And of course, the message says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Simon, I've prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out. When you come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. So the point is, this was very, very much intentional. And he explained it, he shared it, which to me, again, was showing such great love and compassion toward Peter. Wouldn't you agree with that? I think so. Now, it was then <laughs> that Peter arrogantly insisted that he would never stumble. OK, here, here we go again. Yet despite his protest before the night was over, he did deny Jesus, and his whole world was severely shaken. His ego was deflated. His self-confidence was just totally annihilated. His pride suffered greatly, but here's the key. But his faith never failed. Now, what was this really all about? Jesus was equipping Peter to strengthen the brethren. You see, people with natural leadership abilities, they often tend to be short on compassion, lousy comforters, and impatient with others. They, they, you know, I mean, it's hard to say, but it's true. They don't stop very long to care for the wounded as they pursue their own goals, because they're just goal-oriented sometimes. Peter needed to learn compassion through his own ordeal so that when it was over, he could strengthen others in theirs. For the rest of his life, Peter would need to show compassion to people who were struggling. After being sifted by Satan, Peter was well equipped to empathize with others' weaknesses. Because again, it's one thing to have sympathy for somebody, but it's something different when you can really empathize with them. And he learned that. He could hardly help having great compassion for those who succumbed temptation or fell into sin. He had been there. So I mean, yeah, he knew how to do that. And by that experience, he learned to be compassionate 
tender-hearted, gracious, kind, and comforting to others who were lacerated, and I chose that word on purpose, lacerated by sin and personal failure. Because sometimes a person can be so wounded that that's exactly how you see them, that they're just that torn up. And if you can't be compassionate and loving and kind and tender-hearted, sometimes you can't rescue them and bring them back to where they need to be. Amen. So now what I want you to do is turn with me to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. And I'm going to share it first out of the New King James Version, because this is Peter actually writing this, and it gives us the ability to see just how much he really has grown. So in the New King James Version, starting with verse 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. And if we look at it in the Amplify Classic, it says, be well balanced. Here's the qualifier. What does that mean, be well balanced? It means temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Withstand him, be firm in faith, here's the qualifier, against his onset, rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined, knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of Christians throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who imparts all blessing and favor, who has called you to his own eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself complete and make you what you ought to be, establish and ground you securely and strengthen and settle you. Now, last time we're gonna read it, this, this, this last translation, the message. Keep a cool head, <laughs> stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. This is so true. Keep your guard up. You're not the only, you're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have put you together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Oh, that, oh I'm telling you, that is wonderful. So you see, Peter understood human weakness and he understood it well. He had been to the bottom his own weaknesses had been thrown in his face, but 
he had been perfected, established, strengthened, and settled by Jesus. As usual, he was really writing out his own experience. These were not some theoretical precepts that he taught. He was talking about what he knew firsthand. Now finally, he had to learn courage. Not the impulsive, headlong, you know, false kind of courage that caused him to swing his sword so wildly at Malchus, but a mature, settled, fearless willingness to suffer for Christ's sake. It's totally different. The kingdom of darkness, now this is good. The kingdom of darkness is set against the kingdom of light. Lies are set against truth. Satan is set against God. And demons are set against the holy purposes of Christ. Therefore, Peter would face difficulty wherever he went. Now, I'm going to pause here. You know, we sit as Christians and we always talk about how hard it is, you know, like, oh, you know, I really wanted to share the good news of Jesus, but, you know, people, they catch attitudes, and it's so difficult, you know. I really do have a cousin who I really want to be saved, but, you know, I know she doesn't want to come to church, and she really doesn't want to hear. We come up with all of these excuses. When you look at it in comparison to what these 12 walk through, your excuses are very feeble. If anything, it should encourage you to know because remember, we know God is no respecter of persons, right? So therefore, if they could do all of this and they weren't even born again, they didn't even have the Godhead within them, just think about what we can do. So I find it really very, very encouraging when you think about that. So anyway, therefore, we know that he was going to face some difficulty, but Christ said as much, and he explained it to him yet again, go with me to John's Gospel, the 21st chapter. John's Gospel, the 21st chapter, and we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. And I'm going to share it with you first out of the New Living Translation. And it says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, I love this, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Now if we look at it in the message, it says, then he said, it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked for the third time, do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, and then he commanded, follow me. What did that mean? The price of preaching 
would be death for Peter. Persecution, oppression, trouble, torture, ultimately martyrdom. Peter would need rock solid courage to persevere. You can practically see the birth of real courage in Peter's heart at Pentecost when he was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Prior to that, he had shown flashes of a fickle kind of courage. <laughs> that is why he impetuously, impetuously just drew his sword, okay? And, and think about this. He's in front of a multitude, okay, of armed soldiers. So he just does that one minute. But then, not that long later, he denies Jesus when challenged by a little servant girl a few hours later. His courage, like everything in his life, was marred by instability. Just was not very stable. At Pentecost, however, we see a different Peter. Both Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin. Now, we talked about them for a long period of time. But to bring it back to you, they're the Jewish ruling council okay, of the time. So they were brought before them, and they were given solemn instruction. Turn to Acts. Acts 4. See, we're getting a lot done. I hope I'm not going too fast. You all were hanging in there. I appreciate it. Okay. Turn to the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Acts 4, starting with verse 18. I'm going to share it first out of the message. And it says, they called them back and warned them that they were on no account ever again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John spoke right back. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. As for us, there's no question. We can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. The Amplified with the qualifier said, so they sent for them and commanded them not to speak, here's the qualifier, as his representatives, or teach at all in the name of Jesus, using him as their authority. But Peter and John replied to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you and obey you rather than God, you must judge for yourselves. For we, on our part, cannot stop telling people about what we have seen and heard. Soon they were brought back again before the Sanhedrin for continuing to preach because they never stopped what they were doing. Again, they told them the same thing. Now you're in Acts, just flip right on over to Acts 5, and we're going to look at verse 29. Acts, the fifth chapter, verse 29, in the New King James Version says, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The Amplified says, Then Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. We have no other choice. And the message says, Peter and the apostles answered, it's necessary to obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, the one you killed by hanging him on a cross. God set him on high at his side, prince and savior, to give Israel the gift of a changed life and sins forgiven. And we are witnesses to these things. The Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who obey him, corroborates every detail. 
Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and driven by the knowledge that Christ had risen from the dead, had acquired an unshakable, rock-solid courage. Just imagine, we know what we believe based on what we've learned, based on what we've studied. Peter actually lived it. He, see, on one hand, we are blessed because we are born of the Spirit of God and the entire Godhead lives within us. That's fantastic. But the 12 ordinary men were also blessed because they saw firsthand, up close and personal, the history that we had to study and learn. They lived it. You know, it's sort of like, it's interesting because, okay, we have five children and a lot of times, the older ones will talk about the younger ones and make it sound like, oh, they have it so much easier than we did and blah, 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 blah. To a certain degree, there is some truth to that. But then we have to remind them, but they had us when we were younger. So therefore, they had some things, they got some things and spent some time with us that you, you know, you didn't. Like, you know, I remember to, my eldest child, I wanted her to say thank you when you gave her something. I remember spending like a half an hour just to get her to say thank you. I, by the time the fifth one came, it's like, look, it's thank you, get it? <laughs> because you, you don't have the same patience. There's just so many different things that happen. So there are different advantages that a person gets at different times. The 12 had advantages that we didn't necessarily have, but we've got something that they could not even dream of. So it depends on how you look at it. But either way, I think this is wonderful, what it is that Peter ended up learning. So in Peter's first epistle, we get a hint of why he was filled with such courage. Writing to Christians dispersed all over the Roman Empire because of persecution, he tells them this. So now you got to go back. To first Peter and we're gonna look at the first chapter yeah you're working tonight <laughs> first Peter the first chapter and we're gonna look at just verses three through seven that's not that many I'm gonna share it with you out of the amplified because I want the qualifiers starting with verse three it says blessed here's the qualifier gratefully praised and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant and boundless mercy has caused us to be born again. Here's the qualifier. That is to be reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose to an ever-living hope and confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead born anew into an inheritance which is imperishable beyond the reach of change and undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, who are being protected and shielded by the power of God through your faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed for you in the last time. In this, you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, 
which is much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested and purified by fire, may be found to result in your praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh. Now the message is short and sweet and says it this way, what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Oh, how can you not get excited about that? Oh my goodness. He was, Peter, was very secure in Christ, and he knew it. He had seen the risen Christ, so he knew Christ had conquered death. He didn't have to read about it, he knew it. He knew that whatever earthly trials came his way, they were merely temporary. The trials though often painful and always distasteful, were nothing compared to the hope of eternal glory. Turn to Romans, the eighth chapter, and we're gonna look at verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. In the New King James Version, it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The Amplified says, for I consider, here's the qualifier, from the standpoint of faith, that the sufferings of the present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. And then the message, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. The genuineness of true faith, he knew. He was indefinitely, he, he knew that it, the genuineness of faith, was indefinitely more precious than any perishing earthly riches because his faith would greatly result in the praise and glory of Christ at his appearing. That hope is what gave Peter such courage. Now, as Peter learned all of these lessons and his character was transformed, as he became the man Christ wanted him to be, 
he gradually changed from Simon into rock. Now he learned six specific things. Do any of you remember what those six things are? Okay, you may not because we went over a lot, so now's the time to write them down if you're a note taker, okay? He learned submission. He learned restraint, humility, love, compassion, and courage. And he learned all of these things from the Lord's example. And because of the Holy Spirit's work in his heart, he did become a great leader. This encourages us again when it comes to the office of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we need that tool. We can never, ever, ever think that we can do anything and be successful in this journey without the office of the Holy Spirit. It is so important. So Peter, he preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved. Um, and we read about it earlier. You can mark this down because I'm not going to read it. But if you go to Acts, the second chapter, and you read verses 14 through 41, it actually gives you the sermon, which is beautiful. I mean, and definitely check out different translations. You will be very blessed. He and John healed a lame man which we can find in Acts, the third chapter, and we'll look at verses 1 through 10. Acts 3, verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to share it out of the message. And it says, one day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way into the temple for prayer meeting. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, look here. He looked up, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. The man went into the temple with them, walking back and forth, dancing and praising God. Everybody there saw him walking around and praising God. They recognized him as the one who sat begging at the temple's gate beautiful and rubbed their eyes, astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. Oh, man, that just to me is... He was so powerful, Peter had gotten so mature, he was so powerful that people were healed in his shadow. That's, oh man, that, that's, that's something I really am striving for. <laughs> um, you're in Acts, just flip over to Acts 5. Yeah, we're going to get this in. Flip over to the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 15 and 16, and I'm going to share it with you out of the message, okay? And it says, through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people, many wonderful things done. 
they all met regularly and in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. But even though people admired them a lot, outsiders were wary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master were added right and left, men and women both. They even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping they would be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from the villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them, bringing the sick and bedeviled, and they all were healed. Oh. He raised Dorcas from the dead. Um, that, you can, well, let me see. Well, I might be able to do it fast enough. Go to Acts, this is in Acts, go over to Acts, the ninth chapter, and we're gonna look at, I know I'm not gonna be able to finish it in time. Okay, when we come back, we're gonna do Acts 9, because it's verses 36 through 42, because this is out of the Amplified, it has a lot of qualifiers, because I really want you to understand it, because Dorcas was actually a disciple named Tabitha, the Greek is translated, and that's what means Dorcas, so I don't wanna rush through this so that you're not, I want to make sure that you really, really get it. But anyway, we're going to finally be finished with Peter. I was hoping to do it tonight. I was all prepared. Just couldn't talk fast enough. And then we're going to meet his brother Andrew. And let me tell you something about Andrew. He is the total opposite of Peter, which is why you don't find a whole lot out about little Andrew. I mean, I was like, oh, Andrew, come on. I mean, he really is the total opposite, but there's something about his spirit that you just fall in love with Andrew. So anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back. Now, I really tried. I mean, I was trying to go fast and everything, so I apologize. It's here. <laughs> we, I just I couldn't get to it fast enough, but that's okay. We'll do it next week. We'll do it next week. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.